0: living Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word, and this message, we pray that God puts it into your heart. Of water wash Take your Bibles and turn to Luke, chapter 24 if you don't have a Bible, there's one hopefully in a seat close by you. He is risen! He is risen so you've heard. We are here to celebrate the greatest victory in the history of mankind. The greatest event that has ever happened on this planet. The greatest act of love. Jesus is alive. But don't take my word for it. I want you to take it from one who was there. One who saw it all happen and recorded it. His disciple Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, just want to thank you for this special day. And we thank you for preserving for us these uh, details about this special morning 2,000 years ago. Uh, what, What a joy it is to read them. What a joy it is to count on them. To see the life that is in them. And I pray, Lord, as we go through this, uh, this morning, as we go through these words, that uh, you might plant them in our hearts and uh, that you might bear fruit even today from the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our life. Holy Spirit, fill us up, wake us up to your presence and your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Easter is a holiday that celebrates life. And I grew up in church, so I don't remember an Easter that was um, ever not about the empty tomb and Jesus' victory over the, over the grave. And you know, I finally got to the place in my life where I asked the all-important question about Easter. What's with all the bunnies and the eggs? <laughs> you know, why? Why? Why do we decorate 18 million Easter eggs every Easter in America? Why do stores sell 90 million chocolate bunnies? Or better yet, a better question is, why do we consume 700 million of those small peeps? (laughs) Well, the answer all has to do with life. I did a little research and I found out that these symbols were ancient symbols used by pagans that were symbols of fertility. The egg and the bunny. Uh, Back then, they celebrated the, the birth of spring, the renewal of the earth at spring. And early Christians, they latched on to the egg as a symbol of the empty tomb and the rebirth of man at Easter. And so... Easter has evolved from those symbols to what we have today. And it's one big happy celebration of life. Now listen, I believe as Christians, we should rescue and redeem the holidays that are on our calendar all for Jesus. Okay, so, you know, when it comes to celebrating this, I believe we need to use every means at our disposal to share the good news about Jesus Christ. So if eggs and bunnies help you do that, by all means, do it and feel good about it. So go have a chocolate bunny or one of those disgusting peeps, you can have mine. Today is a celebration of life and for you to properly celebrate it, you need to know where it it comes from and what it means to be truly alive. Because you know something that's true of every one of us this morning, we're all looking for life. We're all looking for life. The scriptures this morning they tell us about some women that are headed back to the cemetery, back to the tomb where Jesus was laid three days earlier. Except they're on a search, not for life. They're expecting to find death when they get there. Jesus was buried Um, on the eve of a Sabbath day. And that was the day that the Jews did no work according to God's law. So they, they put him in the tomb, wrapped his body up, but they didn't prepare it for burial. So they all went home, celebrated the Sabbath, and this Sunday morning was the first day that these women could go back and prepare Jesus' body for burial. So that's what they're doing. They're on their way. And when they get there, they go inside the tomb, and they can't find the body. It's not there. So they're standing there, where did Jesus' body go? They're perplexed, confused, they're mystified, and all of a sudden, two guys show up in white, and they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? What a question. Actually, it's not even a question at all, is it? I mean, they're they're saying to these women, look, you're looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. Jesus is not here. He is risen. Can you put yourself in those women's sandals this morning? I mean, you go to the cemetery and you're inside a tomb. That alone, you know, is probably creepy enough. But then two guys show up. That would just scare the daylights out of you. And so there they are, and they get this unbelievable news Jesus is not dead. He's alive. So it's like the angels' words are these words are like an alarm clock waking them up out of this bad dream that they're having, that their teacher has been crucified. So they went to the cemetery to look for a dead Jesus, but then they find out He's alive. Why do you look for the living among the dead? That that, that question has always intrigued me. Because we live our lives a lot like these women, on a, on a search. They're looking. Except we're not looking for death, we're looking... For life. Have you ever thought about how much life is like an Easter egg hunt? You know, before Meyer was here, we were here. And a lot of the ground out there that you see Meyer on used to be grass that we mowed. So when I was on a mower out there and springtime came and we started cutting grass... I would have these daydreams of the massive Easter egg hunt that we could hold here. (laughs) Thinking, man, we could put thousands of eggs out there. We could attract hundreds of people. And I even started, you know, kind of wondering what the world record is for the largest (laughs) Easter egg hunt And then my dreams were dashed when I read about the largest Easter egg hunt that was held in Cypress Gardens, Winter Haven, Florida, on April 1st, 2007, where 10,000 kids showed up to search for half a million eggs. About a 1,000 of those eggs had special prizes in them. The grand prize was a $2,000 scholarship to Polk Community College found by a six-year-old little boy. You know how long it took to find half a million eggs? About an hour. About an hour. Well, as we're celebrating life today, you want to ask yourself this question, why do you look for the living among the dead? Or why do you look for life in things that are dead? Easter egg hunts are a great picture of that. You know, if you think about it, every day we're waking up and we're going out looking for life. We're going out to have a good day. You know, uh, does anybody wake up and go, you know, I just want to have a crummy day today. I just hope my life stinks today. You know, no, we don't think like that. We go out, we want to have a good life. We want to experience it. We want to get some stuff marked off the to-do list, right? We want to get some housework done, some shopping, oil change in the car, get the mowers, get the mower out, mow the grass. I mean, that stuff feels good. It's a good life, you know? We go, we go to the Little League game. We go to the dance recital. Yeah, we go out to eat, eat some good food. We go see a movie like The Endgame. You know, I just, got, I just heard about it. Like, that's the big, that's the big movie. You know, so Shane's on top of it. The Endgame's coming out. Talk to him. It's an Easter egg. Looking for life. Along the way, you know, we're trying to be a good person, right? I mean, anybody trying to be a bad person today? Even bad people don't try to be bad, right? We, we, We go out, we don't want to hurt anybody. We even want to maybe help somebody. You know, so this is our hunt. It's our hunt for life. We're, we're all trying to do it. We're all out there hunting for eggs. So take take whatever it is you're looking for life in, to have a good life. Throw it in your Easter egg and and see this activity of hunting for eggs. You know, there was a guy in the Bible who was incredible at hunting for Easter eggs. His name was King Solomon. And he set out... Um, to have a good life, to experience the good life. I mean, he made a decision as king of Israel, I'm going to have a good life. I'm going to experience it. And then he wrote about this experience in a book called Ecclesiastes. And so here is what King Solomon wrote about trying to have the good life. He said, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched to foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. And so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. No one in the history of looking for life, has ever been more successful at doing it than King Solomon was. No one. He found a ton of eggs, you know, full of wisdom and material possessions, full of great wealth and great pleasure. And when it came to eggs, you know, with prizes in them, King Solomon hit the jackpot. He found them all, and what does he say after he receives them? It is all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. These eggs might as well be empty because I'm empty after opening them up. Well, we have all been born with this natural desire for life. And in our culture, we work pretty hard to have a good life. We're working pretty hard at it. We go hunting for eggs, full of reward. You know, whatever it might be we go looking for life, we walk in King Solomon's footsteps, except none of us is going to be able to do it as well as he did it. You know, We don't have the resources or the power or the freedom or the ability to try it. So we want to listen to King Solomon's Conclusion, and we want to listen to the question of the angel why do you look for the living among the dead? Because listen, there is another place to look for life, another place to look, another place to go and find it. And when you do, it does not turn up meaningless. You're already on your way there, as you made it here this morning. I assume you didn't come here to celebrate a dead Jesus. No. He is alive. And it is in Him that we find life. The life that our soul is craving. You know, Jesus said in John 10.10 that He came to give life and to give it abundantly. And for us to be able to receive that life, we've got to do something about our greatest enemy. Death. You know, I... I, uh, I enjoy a good survival story. You know know the stories you hear ever so often of of the determination of the human spirit to to go on living when it seems like death should be the sure thing. There was a, a girl named Juliana Capecchi who was the sole survivor of a plane crash in the Peruvian Amazon. She fell two miles in the sky while she was strapped into her seat in her airplane as it crashed into the Peruvian-Amazonian mountains in 1971. And remarkably, the 17-year-old German girl only sustained moderate injuries, and so she went about the next 10 days of trying to find help in the Amazon jungle dealing with crocodile and piranha-infested waters. And then some Peruvian lumberjacks came to her aid and they brought her back to safety. I think we would say that Julianne cheated death. Well, all of us, we are fighting for survival in a losing battle with death. We've been thrown into the deep end of the pool and we do not know how to swim. We are strapped into an airplane of this body and it's going down. It's going to crash on planet earth somewhere, some way. Now, we try to slow it down. I know we exercise, we eat right, we go to the doctor, you know, we put our hands outside the airplane and flap them trying to slow down the, the crash. But eventually, for every single person in here whose heart is beating, whose lungs are breathing, death is going to stop that. So we not only spend our life looking for life, we also spend our life fighting for life. Now Hebrews 9.27 tells us what our fate's going to be. Man is destined to die once, and after that face judgment. So to survive this fight for life, something has to be done to rescue us from death, and do something about that judgment. Enter Jesus. See, his story is unlike any other survival story that ever was. Because Jesus didn't cheat death. He defeated death. I mean, the angel said, remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. He let death win for three days, and then he defeated it. You know, Jesus is the only one to ever rise from the grave to never die again. He's the only one. And to understand how that helps us win this fight for life, we've got to know something about our opponent, death. See, death was never meant to be a part of our life, it was never meant to be a part of our world. God didn't create death, but He did create us, He created us in His image. Both male and female. He created us. You know, the first model of us we know is Adam and Eve. And so when God created Adam and Eve, He put in them a desire to know Him. You know, He, he set eternity in the heart of man. That's why where you can go all over the world, you can go to the most uncivilized place, and you can find something that is speaking about spirituality. Okay, places that we go and we discover a new tribe and they've got some kind of, you know, idol to worship. That's eternity set in the heart of man. It's a spiritual hunger. It's all over the world. God created it, He put it in there. So Adam and Eve, they had all of God that they they wanted. There was nothing in the way. Except they were deceived into thinking they didn't have it all. And they ended up eating a fruit that God had forbidden them to eat. And the Bible says as soon as they did that, their eyes were opened and they knew. They knew that they had sinned. Sinned against God. And that's how death came into the world. Romans 5.12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Sin is the source of death. So when we do something or think something or, or say something that God has called wrong and he says don't do those things, that's sin. We're breaking God's moral law. So the, that's the reason for that post-death judgment. After we die, we will stand before God. And he will look at the entirety of our life, and he will judge us based on his holiness and righteousness. Jesus, he says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. I don't know about you, but I don't stand a chance in God's courtroom. Actually, I do know about you. You're in the same hot water as me. You know, our reaction to sin is the same as Adam and Eve. They tried to cover it up. It says their eyes were open, they saw that they were naked, and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And that's what we try to do. We try to cover it up when we sin. When we know our eyes are open, we see it, we go, oh, you know. But sometimes we can't cover it up. And so when we can't cover it up, what do we try to do? We try to make up for it, for the things that we've done wrong. In August of 2014, in Esquire magazine, they ran an article, Lance Armstrong in Purgatory. A year and a half earlier, Lance Armstrong was caught in a doping cheating scandal that ended his career and all of his endorsements. He was the world's most successful cyclist at the time. Esquire called Armstrong the biggest cheater of all time, who doped and bullied other bikers. And sued or harassed people for telling the truth about him. So now he's out trying to make amends for what he's done. He went on Oprah. He confessed his cheating ways in public. Being open and honest about things. He flew around the world to talk to uh, his, old opposed, uh, his old cycling foes. Apologizing to them saying, when I look back on that part of my life, I'm ashamed and embarrassed at, what the, at the things that I did. He's trying to make amends. But he hasn't found the freedom of forgiveness. The magazine goes on and says, Armstrong seems tired and trapped. He said, don't we all, when our back's against the wall, try to push back or fight or control certain things? But this, this is too far gone. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't control what's going to happen. It's beyond my control. Our fight for survival is pretty hopeless. We are destined to die and after that we're going to face judgment by a perfect and holy judge for the sins we've committed against him and there's nothing that we can do to help our case when we stand before him. And if we're honest about our life, we would say the same thing as Armstrong. You know what? This thing is too far gone. It's out of my control. I can't do anything about it. Now, if death comes to us in this condition, the Bible tells us what is going to happen to us after we die. Jesus said these words. You're gonna, he, he said, you're going to hear these words. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Is there any hope for our survival? I'm glad you asked. Because there is. Remember John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. And whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. See, Jesus came to seek and to save people who are lost in the world and without hope and without God. When He came, He lived our life. He is fully human. And He was tempted But yet he never sinned his whole whole life. He's the only one who's going to be able to stand in God's courtroom and be declared innocent. The reason that he was crucified was not for anything he had done. But it was for things we have done. It was for our sins. He paid a penalty so we could be forgiven. The Bible says Jesus, who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus rescues us from that judgment, a guilty sentence, an eternal punishment. He has done something about our judgment. And then enter Easter. Because the story doesn't end in death. He's not here. He is risen after three days, so not only has Jesus done something about our judgment, He's also done something about our death. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty to 22 But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Do you like facts? Not everybody does today. But in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So the most important question you can answer today is not, what time is dinner? It is, who do I belong to? Who do I belong to? In Adam, there is no surviving. In Christ, becoming a survivor, you'll become a survivor with a story to tell about how Jesus rescued you and brought you alive in Him. Do you have a story about how you became a survivor. Do you have a story? In John chapter 11, there's an example of one there. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, comes down with this life-threatening illness. And so his family sends a message to Jesus, who's a, out at another town doing ministry, say, "Hey, Lazarus is going to die. You need to come as quick as you can." And so Jesus, when he finally gets there, Lazarus had died. And had been buried in in the tomb for four days the family greets jesus with if you'd been here our brother would not have died and jesus comforts them and he tells them these words i am the resurrection and the life anyone who believes in me will live even after dying everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die do you believe this do you Believe this. That's how you become a survivor. Now Jesus, he went to where Lazarus was buried. He asked him to open the tomb. He calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus walked out of his own grave. That's a survival story. That's a man who was dead and then became alive because of Jesus. So to become a survivor, there's nothing to do. You just believe. You believe. that you, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And when you do that, you're placing your life in Jesus' hands. You're trusting Him with everything. Your death, your life, your illnesses, your provision. You put your life in His hands. Your sins are forgiven because of what He has done on the cross. And then you've got this hope. This hope that when this life is over, is really not over. Because He rose from the grave, you will too. And you'll be taken... To his place to be with him forever. What's your survivor story? You know, at some churches, when you uh, attend uh, at Easter, uh, they give you a gift to take home. You know, uh, sometimes you get a flower, and sometimes you get cookies, sometimes you get chocolate. Here at Living Streams, we're giving you a piece of cardboard. <laughs> it's a very important piece of cardboard. We want you to take it home. Because what this is here is a way to tell your survivor story. See, on, on one side, you write what life was like before Jesus came into your life. And then on the other side, you write what life is like Following Christ, believing in Him, trusting Him for life. So one side is death, the other side is life. And you realize that you did nothing to make the thing turn or flip, whichever way you write it. That was God's doing. It's called being born again. What would you write? Let me show you mine. Mine's bigger than the one you got, so I have a few more words. I was a USA Christian. Unfaithful, self-serving, and apathetic. Apathetically religious, I might add. And then Jesus came into my life. Oh, yeah, see, I still need grace. Grace. <laughs> Now I have a passion for God. And I'm just a faith-filled servant. That's my survivor story. That's what Jesus did for me. What would yours be? What would you write on the card? So take those home with you today and think about it. It it takes a little time to think about it because you don't have a lot of space to write. So why don't you think about it right now. I'm going to show you a video. So as you watch, just... Think about your survivor story, it's beautiful, isn't it? You know who had the biggest smile on their face in that video? A lady who was fighting cancer. I thought that was interesting. I have our worship team making our way back up here. You guys, uh, you guys have any stories? Karen, you got a story? Yep. Empty. Overflowing. That's your story for sure. <laughs> but you got one? No. Alcoholic? Free. Shame? Forgiven. Fear? Free. Hopeless? Hopeful. Beautiful. What would your story be? You know, if you can't think of what it would be, it may be that it hasn't happened yet. But that could change right here and right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I've written a simple prayer. We're going to put it on the screen. It's also in your bulletin. You can take it home with you. And, you know, this prayer isn't going to save you, but it's, it's asking God... Asking God to bring you from death to life. It's a survivor's prayer. We're all just going to pray it together um, as we close. And, uh, you know, if if you've got a story, let it be a reminder of how it all got started. And then go out and figure a way to share it with somebody. Let's stand. Let's pray this. If you need a survivor's story, let's pray this from your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for how much you love me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me so that I could be made alive in him. I understand that without him in my life, I am destined to die without you because of my sins. Jesus, forgive me and come into my life. Make me a new person and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you each day and live in the light of what you have done for me. Thank you, God, for making me a survivor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.